Too good for silence. Have you ever eaten something really, really good? Maybe it was at a restaurant, maybe it was a potluck, maybe it was at your house that your mom made, or maybe something even that you made. And generally, when people eat something that is really, really good, they make some sounds. You know what I'm talking about? What sort of sounds do they make when something's really good? Let me hear it. Yeah. Maybe some, or mmm, 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 oh yeah, this is so good. Because it's too good to be silent. You know, you fix, you fix the best meal in the world, and if somebody just said, this is more than adequate, thank you so much, <laughs> you'd be kind of disappointed as a chef, right? But when you hear that, mmm, yes, this is just what my taste buds are wanting, you know it was good. It was too good to keep silent. Well, today we're going we're gonna to go through a story in the Old Testament where some people had an experience that was too good to be quiet about. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. Where did I say? 2 Kings chapter 6. Go there on your phone, turn there in your Bible. There's a, probably a Bible in the pew in front of you. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 24. Second Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 24. And the Bible says, I'm in the New King James Version today, and it happened after this that Ben-Hadad king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. Ben-Hadad. The word Ben simply means son. Uh, so this guy is the son of Hadad. Hadad was the name of their, their god of war and their god of storms. Uh, kind of similar to Baal, uh, but a little bit different. This was kind of the throne name, the name that he took. Uh, when he ascended to the throne. He could have been born, he probably was born under a different name, but this was the name he took when he came to the throne. So this guy is the son of the god of war, son of the storm. So what's he going to do? He's going to go to war with people. Who's he battling against in this verse? Samaria. Now Samaria was the capital of the northern part of Israel. Remember at this point in Israel's history, there was a split Civil war resulted in split. There were the southern tribes called Judah and the northern ten tribes called Israel. And their capital at this point in history was in Samaria. Uh, we didn't go to Samaria on our trip to Israel, but I'll show you. Uh, this is an artist's rendition. Samaria is up here on the hill. Uh, it was in a nice strategic location. There were a couple of crossroads. And so it was a good spot to have your capital. Uh, here are some of the ruins. Actually, these ruins... Um, all those stones that you can see there, many of them are remnants of Ahab and Omri's palace. Ahab, you recall, was the really, really wicked king, and he had that crazy wife named, what was her name? Jezebel, yeah. And Omri, his father, was the one who built this palace, and Ahab probably expanded it and made it a little bit bigger. Uh, now, obviously, it's ruined today. In fact, there's a prophecy in the book of Micah, chapter 1, verse 5 or 6, 
where it says Samaria will, be, will lie in desolation. Its stones will tumble down into the valley. Uh, and so as you see the ruins, it, it seems to really kind of fit that prophecy about it. But there were a number, a couple of um, excavations that took place there. Uh, and, and near this region, which you can't really see from this picture, just in 2011, an archaeologist discovered what she believes was the burial chamber. Um, you can't see it from this angle, but it's, it's dug down into, um, into the, the hillside there and may have been the burial spot of Ahab and of Omri. Um, so kind of an interesting spot here. And if you read in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 39, it says this. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house which he had made and all the cities which he had built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? It mentions a word there, ivory. It said Ahab had ivory. Well, it's, it's interesting and it should come as no surprise to us that archaeologists have uncovered ivory in this location and also a little bit north of here. Possibly the very ivory that Ahab once used for his house. Uh, there was an expedition or an excavation over a hundred years ago. Here are some old pictures that they have in the Library of Congress. And uh, after they, they dug down and, and discovered some of these things, sometimes they would backfill. They'd pour dirt back in to preserve the site. Um, sometimes, uh, as happens, here's a threshing floor that was um, in use here. So, so this is the, the place where it happened. In fact, the temple was built, as they, as they dug down, they found it was built on bedrock. So they know that was the first thing there. Um, most certainly, the palace of Omri and Ahab. That's where Jezebel hung out. Um, you can think about some of the stories involved. Uh, obviously, it's lying in ruins today, but back then, it must have been a very nice place. So, Ben-Hadad... king of war, king of thunder, storms, is coming and surrounding Samaria. He's besieging it. What's besieging mean? What is a siege? Yeah, they're, in, they're encircling it. Um, I got a picture here. It's probably not the most accurate one, but it's a picture nonetheless. And you can see armies surrounding the city. So they're, they're surrounding the city because sometimes they would try and directly attack the city, and other times they would just camp around the city and say, all right, we're going to wait you out. we got nothing but time out here. We've got all sorts of food, we have running water, we have everything we need. We'll see how long and how well you do inside the city. Several weeks ago I showed you some pictures from Masada, where Herod had a winter palace that became a fortress in 73 A.D., and I told you that, that they had a water supply and a food supply that could last perhaps up to seven years. Uh, but yet the siege didn't last very long because the Romans built a really good ramp uh, and they were able to take the city without a single fight. So a siege starts. The city's surrounded and it gets really, really bad because Samaria did not have the resources for food and water that Masada did. Look at verse 25. The Bible says there was what kind of famine? Great famine. That doesn't mean it was a really good famine. <laughs> a great famine we're having here. 
No, this means it was a really intense one. It was a long one. It was one that caused people to start to starve to death. An intense famine in Samaria. And indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. Now, what in the world? It's, the, the regular food is eaten all up. And so a donkey, which is normally unclean, they're like, I guess we're going to have to eat this thing. And the, the head is the least desirable part of the donkey. I've never eaten one, but I would imagine. And, and other commentators say, yeah, that's the worst part. <laughs> all other parts before that part. And it's saying 80 shekels of silver. That's two pounds of silver. Minimum wage or standard wage was one shekel a month in those days. So this is 80 months worth of income just to buy the head of an unclean animal to eat for a couple of meals, maybe. Does this describe how bad the situation had become? This is serious business. In fact, the text continues and it says one-fourth of a cob of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Now, some commentators say, no, this is actually talking about dove droppings. And other commentators say dove droppings is being um, used to refer to something uh, undesirable, undesirable seeds in that time. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, maybe so. We're not sure exactly. Um, I just want to pause real quick for a special prayer. Um, Nancy Levea is at the hospital right now. She's had some pain. Um, and she's just been admitted, so let's just pause real quick to lift up our dear sister Nancy. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we love our, our sister Nancy, and uh, we don't know what's causing this pain in her body, but you do, and we just pray that you will give her relief, and uh, please help the doctors to figure it out, and to ease her pain, and to figure out the source of it, and to address it properly. Uh, may your healing hand be there. And may she just know that she's loved, not only by you, but that she's loved by us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for that. So, so this is a very serious time. They're selling donkey heads for over a year's worth of wages. They're selling dove droppings or really nasty seeds to eat for five months' wages, it's about as bad as it can get. And if you look at verse 26, it says, Then as the king of Israel was passing by a wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he's like, What? What am I going to do? Pull out some bread from the threshing floor? And she's like, No, 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 no. you got to know what happened. And then she describes a story that's so gruesome, I hesitate to even say it, but it involved cannibalism. It was that bad. And she's crying out for justice. This mother had committed these unthinkable acts because of the hunger and the desperation. And she wasn't the only one. And hearing this, the, the king just tears his robes. And it's interesting because underneath his royal robes, he had sackcloth on, which is the, the garb, the dress for people who are in mourning. And some commentators have said, well, it's kind of disingenuous for him to, to look on the outside like things are fine, and then on the inside, he, he's, not, 
he's got the clothes of mourning. He should have just worn the clothes of mourning. But in any case, he just realizes this is a super bad situation. What has come to our land? And somebody needs to get the blame for this. So who does he point the finger at? The prophet. The prophet of God. Look at verse 30. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked. And there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And then he said, God do so to me. And more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Sam, that prophet Elisha, it's all his fault, and I'm going to kill him. Was it Elisha's fault? Elisha was trying to lead the people back to God. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy later on, Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says God predicted that if the people were to disobey him and disregard his laws and stop following him, it was going to lead to the very events that were happening in the city of Samaria. God didn't cause it. God just says, if this happens and you ignore my counsel, I will withdraw my protective hand from you and the utter depths of depravity of human nature will be revealed in your cities. And it was happening in Samaria. So he says, I'm going to kill Elisha. Verse 32, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man ahead of him before, but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, hey, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent somebody to take away my head? Elisha even knew the motives. Hey, guys, somebody's going to come here, and he's going to try and kill me. God was revealing these things through the Holy Spirit to Elisha. And he says, look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with him, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? It's God's fault that these things are happening. As you look at the history of the kings of Israel, there are about eight kings before this or more, and every single one of them were evil. Deuteronomy 28 says, if that's the way you want to go, this is what's going to happen. It wasn't God's fault. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord, chapter 7, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, good news, tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. A sia is, um, it's about a quart, if I remember correctly. Basically, things are going to get a lot better. You're going to be able to buy, buy flour. You're going to be able to buy wheat. You're going to be able to buy barley. Tomorrow, just wait, just wait, he says. So an, offer, so an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord were to make the windows of heaven open, could this thing be? Hey, this is impossible, man. What are you talking about? People have bought a donkey's head for 80 months worth of silver. How could this happen? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Another prophecy, Elisha says, You're going to see it. But you're not going to eat of it. And we find out in the end of the story, 
That's exactly what happened. Now we get to verse 3. Elisha has just said, by tomorrow, good things are going to be happening. And what does verse 3 say? It says, now there were four, what kind of men? Leprous men. Leprosy. It was a skin disease. Uh, and, and in the ancient world, this word was used to describe a, several types of skin diseases. It wasn't just any one in particular. But these guys were, were staying where? Were they inside the wall? They were at the entrance of the gate. They were outside the wall. These men were hanging out out there with their skin disease uh, because they weren't welcome in the city. People worried that this was contagious, so, so the people, the lepers, had to be outside. They were quarantined. So they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Starvation in the city, death by soldiers outside the city. So they're just hanging out there at the gate. And they finally say to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? What's going on? Are we just going just gonna, to like die here? Look at verse 4. If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we will die there. And if we sit here, we also die. Now therefore, let us surrender to the army of the Assyrians, to the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. What have we got to lose? Let's just try something. You know, sometimes in our lives, I think we're hesitant to make decisions because we don't want to make the wrong decision. And sometimes we have equally good options in front of us and we've been praying about them and we're not sure what to do. And so we do nothing. I think sometimes, and I can't tell you what you should do in your own life, but I think sometimes it's best if you've been praying and if you have good options that don't contradict God's revealed will through his word, just pick one. Pick one. Go in some direction. It's better to make a wrong decision prayerfully and have God correct you than to make no decision at all. And so that's what these guys are doing. They said, we're, we're going to die no matter what, but maybe we won't die. There's one scenario where we won't, so let's at least try that one out. And so they go, verse 5, and they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Assyrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, who was there? Nobody. They come to the camp, and there's nobody there. There's food just laying out. Fires are still smoldering. Clothes are here and there. Weapons of warfare just laying around. And they know we've hit the jackpot. These four lepers are now in Disneyland because they are like, cha-ching, we're rich, we have food, we're saved. And, and, and I can imagine myself getting super excited, just ah, nom, 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 like Cookie Monster, just shoveling food into your mouth after being starved to almost death for that long. And they're super excited. Wouldn't you be excited? When you find something good, you're like, yes, this is awesome. So they, they just have a feast there. Thanksgiving Day has arrived for them. And they're, they're carrying off things and hiding silver and gold in, in hiding spots. And they're eating and they're having the best time ever. You know, sometimes when I'm out rock climbing, I'll be climbing along and I'll find a piece of gear that somebody has left behind. It's gotten stuck in the rock. 
or they haven't been able to complete the root, and so they just leave it there and lower off of it. And when you find that, you're just like, chiching, uh, especially if you can get it out, because sometimes it's stuck in the crack and it will not come out whatsoever. But one time I was climbing along and I found this big piece of gear. It cost like over 60 bucks, just this one thing. And I'm like, yes. And I pulled it out like after 30 seconds of trying. And yes, I have treasure, right? And that's what these guys were saying. This is awesome. The whole camp and nobody is here. Yes, we're saved. And as they're eating, one of them has a thought. They start to realize, wait, I think this is probably too good for silence. While we are in a good spot now, we need to tell people what's going on. The people who, who said to them, you can't be in our city. We don't want to be around you. Unclean. Oh, i got to stay away. Those people, they need to know. They deserve to know. Look at verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we will not remain silent. Upon realizing how rich they were, they talked about it and they said, we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to tell other people. We will tell the people. And you can read the rest of the story, how they go back home and they say, hey, we found all this stuff. There's nobody in the camp. You've got to believe us. And the king at first was saying, it's a trap. You know, they're hiding in just in the woods or the grass a little bit further on. And then when we all go out, they're going to spring the trap and kill us all. But that's not the case. They send out some people to look, and sure enough, nobody is there. Clothes are strewn around. In fact, they had already gone and fled the Syrian army across the River Jordan, miles and miles and miles away. What were they afraid of? God had caused some sound. God said, all right, angels, I need you to make some sounds. You guys, yeah, you're really good at those like, sound effects. You're going to make the sound of a big army. And you're going to be invisible. And you're going to freak out those soldiers. Yeah, bring the stereo, bring all that. I don't know how angels work. But God totally freaked out the army. They heard the sounds. Oh, no. The king, this king of Samaria, he's hired out armies from other nations, the Hittites and others. They're coming. We're going to die. Let's get out of here. No, you don't have time for that. Leave that here. And they all fled, and nobody was left. And the city of Samaria was saved. And the man who had said, that's impossible, Elijah. No way that's ever going to happen, even if God opens up the windows. That guy, as all the people were flooding out of the gates, the poor guy was crushed in the mob. Just like on Black Friday, uh, it's a horrible thing that happens. Um, so many people trying to get out or get in, um, and he perished. But the city was saved because people were willing to share and not be silent about the good news 
You know, I can't help thinking about parallels between those people, those four lepers, and us. We, too, live in a world, we live in a place that is surrounded by an enemy, that's under enemy control right now. What's our enemy's name? Satan. Satan. He's been sieging this world for too many years. And without good news, we're all toast. Without good news, we're gone. But do we have some good news? We have great news. And the news is too good for us to hold it to ourselves. This good news was never intended to be a secret. I know something you don't know. That's not what it was ever intended to be. Our good news was intended to be shared. So that's why as a church, we do regular outreach. We do glow outreaches. There's one happening today. Right, Anita? No. Okay. Got it. Because of the memorial. But we have glow to distribute anytime you want. Tomorrow, we have a health outreach. We don't want to just help people be healthy. We want to also help them know the person that made them and wants to save them. Next month, we have this appearing seminar. We got those signs. We're going to pass out flyers. We're mailing out a bunch of flyers. Thanks to you giving to our church budget, we have money to do that. The evangelism offering at camp meeting. It's too good not to share. I just want to share a brief video clip from Pastor Sean Boonstra explaining uh, the appearing just a little bit more, and we're going to wrap it up here uh, shortly. There's some audio. Right now, there are people in your community who sense that something is wrong in this world, and that sense is growing every single day. There are people out there looking for hope, and even now, God's Spirit is moving over your town, preparing hearts to meet you. That's why your church has chosen to be a host site for The Appearing, an all-new five-part experience that shares our hope in the soon return of Christ. Each session highlights key Bible passages that dispel many of today's most popular myths about the last days, and then reveals a future of hope. Look, this is going to be a lot of fun and a great way to engage the people who live in your community. So I have a simple question for you. Who are you going to invite? Is there someone God has brought to your life that needs to connect with your community of believers? Is there someone you know who might be ready to step forward in their spiritual journey. So who would that be? Who are you going to invite? As you and I prepare for this event, please join me in praying for the members of your community. Pray for the people God will bring through the doors of your church. Pray for the people you plan to invite. Pray that they will hear God speaking to their hearts and that they will discover God's plan for their lives. I, I can hardly wait to see what God is going to do through you to reach your community for Christ. I'll see you at the appearing. Well, we're going to have so much fun next month. Uh, I hope everyone will plan on being there. But even more than that, I hope that you plan on praying for this event and inviting people. 
So as you came in today, a lot of you got a, a prayer card, and if you didn't get one, our wonderful Deacon Frank will pass one to you. You can just raise your hand. It's just a simple card, and it says, Lord, I'm praying for an opportunity to invite these people. Um, just raise your hand if you want one, if you need one, didn't get one earlier. So it's an opportunity for you right now, in your mind, in your heart, to start praying, saying, God, who could I invite to come to this simple seminar? It's going to be one that you can invite anybody to. The topics are centered around the, the return of Jesus and the prophecies of the Bible about the return of Jesus. But I encourage you right now and this afternoon, as you think about more names, jot them down on this piece of paper. Put it on your fridge. Put it uh, on your mirror. Put it in your Bible. Put it somewhere where every day you're going to see it. And as we get closer to the meetings, you'll have opportunities to invite these people. But for now, we want to start praying for them every single day, saying, God, the message of your return is too good for silence. It's too good to keep to ourselves. God, who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to invite? God wants to use you. If he can use four lepers, social outcasts, he can use you because you are not that way. And even if you are, God can, God can use a donkey to talk for him. He can use any one of us. All right. So who wants to share the good news? Let's pray. Dear God, I'm so grateful that Modesto is not surrounded by armies and that we're not in time of war or siege in this location. But we know that there is a spiritual war going on and there are people who will die without the good news of a crucified and risen Savior, salvation free and full, opportunity to live forever. Lord, there are so many ways to get the message out, and I pray that specifically you'll bless us as tomorrow we have a health outreach, uh, next month as we have the appearing. But today, Lord, give us ideas of people to start praying for right now. Give us opportunities to invite people, friends, coworkers, neighbors, acquaintances, family members, and others, so that more people might know that you're coming back and that you want us to go with you. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath, and God be